Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> yes, this is my first time. <laughs> I want to start by saying I love y'all. <laughs> and I start there today because love comes with a certain level of vulnerability attached. They kind of go together. And I have always seen the Dharma talks as a example or a vehicle for vulnerability. These Dharma talks for me have been almost like rays of sunshine that that beam down on these kind of seeds or flowers of vulnerability which are within all of us and they help that flower grow over time so today i would like to have a very vulnerable discussion with you about how i came to this practice what this practice means to me and how this practice informs my empathy for myself and for others around me. So I would like to start by saying it is 1996. I am a young, dashing, handsome young man. Then. <laughs> It is a quiet Sunday afternoon. My two children, Troy Jr., who is about three at this time, and Shinette, my daughter, she's maybe five. Uh, my wife at the time is not there. She is gone. She is out. And I am doing what I do on Sundays, and that is clean up. I like to clean the house on Sundays. You know, to kind of get ready for Monday morning, you know. So I was washing clothes and folding clothes, and I was putting my wife's garments away in her under, under, uh, undergarment um, drawer, and I happened to see a letter, a folded letter that I had never seen before, and I... I wash clothes, fold clothes all the time, but this letter seemed new. And something tugged at me to open this letter. I consciously opened this letter, and inside this letter were glorious words of affection and love and a future together. But I was not the author of this letter. And a rather unknown lover was. This conscious but unintentional moment in time pushed me into these waters of profound suffering that I could never imagine or believe 
So my separation from her was the beginning of my journey of this practice. And it was further supercharged when I learned that my son was not my biological child. <clears throat> so at this point, I have now found myself immersed in the waters of suffering in ways I could have never imagined. And I am chest deep and drowning in these waters. I have left shores that were that were familiar and I could not go back to. But yet, I was looking out and saw no shore to even to head toward. In total vulnerability, my mother actually had me on suicide watch. And I would like to tell you all about my mother. Oh, my mother. <laughs> I love my mama. My mama has so much empathy for me. But at the same time, it is not devalued by sentimentality. She She would hold on to me. And I would go over to my mother's house and I would cry, 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 cry. That's what I do then. I just was cry. You never seen a young man cry as much as I cried back then. And my mother, she said, Troy, why are you crying? And, and I, I just was taken aback by. Oh, why do you think I'm crying? I'm crying because my wife left me. And my mother looked at me and she says, Troy, if you are crying because your wife left you, then the problem is not with her. The problem is with you. This is terrible. You're just, you're just a, a terrible person. <laughs> My mother, she continued and she said, you never had a wife to lose. My mother then took me through the definitions of a wife, which I do agree with. And by the time that conversation was over with, my tears, they gradually dried up. Because my mother had changed my perspective. My mother revealed the truth. My mother's clarity allowed me to no longer be deluded. So as you start going into 19, you start leaving 1996, you're going into 97, 98. This whole process has broken me. 
financially, mentally, um, spiritually, emotionally. I am, I am a wreck. But I would treat myself to Barnes and Nobles. You could, if you could read, if you could get yourself a cup of coffee, the people at Barnes and Nobles would not bother you. They'd let you read. And I came across a book by the Dalai Lama. And the book was about, it was about happiness. And I sat there and looked at this like, well, well what is that? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, if happiness came and sat right next to me, I wouldn't know what to say to it. This was so, this whole concept of happiness was so foreign to me that I, I just was like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. He's talking about happiness? But there was a tug there that tugged at me that I, I kept coming back. And I would buy that cup of coffee and I would keep reading and I would keep reading. And then that book led to another book. And so that then led me to yoga, which was some of the first introductions to the power of breathing and the power of your breath. Now, about this time, my world is starting to have colors and, 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 and things that I had never seen before. I was starting to look at the world in a whole new light now. And so my antennas are up to, to notice things that you maybe would not have noticed had you not been going through this, this journey. And I saw an ad about a group that was meditating at a Unitarian church on Fannin near the, near the uh, museum district. And I went. And it was maybe 15 people then sitting and Tim Shorey. Tim Shorey was the first person to introduce himself to me. And he took me in a side room and he did kind of a guided meditation, just me and him. And everyone I have been sitting with the Zen Center every day since then. And I am so grateful for Tim stopping me and saying hello. This practice has sustained me for so much, for so long. This practice has taught me how to sit with myself. This practice has taught me how to sit with my pain, my fears, my thoughts. This practice has taught me how to know myself. There was even a period of time I was homeless. And this practice taught me how to sit 
and not be scared and to know that everything was going to be okay. Sitting for me is, had become very active. Because in sitting, I now was gaining clarity about my life and about who I am without having to have my mother present. <laughs> and that was a beautiful thing because maybe it meant I was growing up. And so, um, I've continued to sit daily since 1990, June of 1999. I think it was summer, it was in the summertime, it was around June, July time frame. I sat this morning and I will continue to sit in the future because of what the practice has given me and also to the practice informs the empathy for myself and it informs the empathy that I can have for others. So for me, on this conversation of empathy, empathy for me comes in a lot of forms. Empathy for myself. I think empathy for yourself for me, what has been extremely important in that is because the practice has allowed me to acknowledge my humanity. The practice has allowed me to see that in any moment, I am on this, this edge, this precipice, and I like that word, precipice. <laughs> it has power in it, but this precipice of being right at the edge of on some conversation or an interaction or an event of being consumed by some level of greed, hate, or delusion. It is sitting right there. While on another conversation, the practice informs me that I could already be in some level of the three poisons currently, and the practice has the ability to bring clarity and inform me that I am in it. You can even extend that conversation to say that the practice has the ability to even bring clarity to show that you have moved out of some level of greed, hate, or delusion. So for me, I have viewed my sitting and my practice as being possibly hypocritical of just how close I am to kind of 
not understanding it all and not knowing myself and not realizing what's going on in my life. So I sit because I don't want to seem hypocritical to the universe. I sit also too because a debt, I feel like is still being repaid for what I've gained, for what I've learned about myself, for the strength that this has given me, and for the wonderful Dharma family and Sangha that I have. I am still paying back that debt. So I continue to sit. I sit to monitor when I'm not living up to my Buddhist vows. I also sit to know when I'm not living up to the aspirations of the of the path. All of this is important because before we can have empathy for others, we must have empathy for ourselves. And for me, the practice has given me a way to be gentle with myself, but also acknowledge myself, acknowledge my faults and acknowledge my shortcomings and acknowledge just everything about me. So, empathizing for other for others is what taking Buddhist vows is asking of us. It's it's really the core teachings of the Buddha and what is being asked of us when we take those vows. The practice has allowed me to be present with others. So a few years ago before the pandemic, a good friend of mine lost his wife of 35 years of marriage. And he would come into my office and I think in the same idea of a tug, something was tugging at him to come into my office. But he would come into my office daily. And some days we would talk, and some days we wouldn't. Some days he would just cry. And my office had become a safe space. And some days I would even cry with him. But I think the practice has had at this point opened my vulnerability up so much. I could just be with him. In the same way my mother had been with me. But one day, in a very vulnerable moment, 
he he said I did not know life could be so hard. I did not know life could be so hard. And I just took pause at that. He was, at the time, nearly a 60-year-old man. And he had no idea that life could be this hard. And in that pausing, I look back at that sometimes, and, and there was my practice even informed me that there may have been a little jealousy on my part, that he had gone so long and had never felt this, this profound suffering until now. But that's when I say being able to stop and, and the practice um, giving you the clarity, I could see who I was in that moment. Because I think also in that same moment, I also saw his privilege. <laughs> And there was a moment I said to myself, well, how has he been protected this long? Was it a mother, a wife, someone that has kept him safe this long? And I add that in you all as a nod to the women in our lives, what you all do for us when you love us. I responded to this coworker and said, life is suffering. You cannot get around this. And he kind of looked at me and he kind of paused and said, yes. This, this, is, this is our life. And I continued by saying, that we will get through this and you will get through this. But when you get through this, I want you to be a man who learns something. This is not suffering for the sake of suffering. This is suffering to find a deeper meaning in who you are and who we are. I explained to him that I did not, I went through my suffering so that I could be here for someone else when they needed me. That was not suffering for the sake of suffering. I asked his coworker, I challenged his coworker to see that when he reached the other side of this, could this be an opportunity to grow and mature? Could this be a place where he could be happy? Because I did not want him to be emotionally detached. I did not want him to be an alcoholic. I did not want him to be on drugs. I did not want him to be unavailable. 
I wanted him to be a evolved human being after this process was over so he could be there for someone else. And eventually, about a year later, our conversation started to change. He started looking at the world differently. He started seeing the world, I would even say with less privilege. He started looking at the world in a more empathetic way. And I think he reached the other side of that, a more evolved man because of the conversations that we have today. Um, my children, Cheyenne is now 31. <clears throat> Troy Jr. is now 28. Just kind of a side note. Um, they changed his name from Troy Douglas Porter Jr to Troy Wayne Granger. And I asked the judge to keep me in his life. At that particular time, I was the only father that he knew. I was the only source of discipline that he had. And also too, for what it's worth, society says that the black family is falling apart where I just saw this just as another statistic. So I asked the judge to keep me in his life. The judge then said, Mr. Porter, I appreciate this, but I need you to do something for me. Which kind of made me nervous because <laughs> I did not expect that. He says, Mr. Porter, if this is what you want, then I need you to ask the biological father permission, not mine. You talk about wow. So I did. I did. And um, the judge allowed me and this man and the mother to raise these children. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I just tell you, this is ad living here. I'm going to tell you all a funny story for what's worse. <laughs> so, a basketball game. Went to the basketball game. Troy Jr. is playing. And Troy Jr. runs by the time. He is the shortest child on this team. He runs by, everybody kind of looks. And I could not help myself, but I said, well, you could tell the boy didn't come from my loins. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> thought I'd throw that out. Okay. All right. Okay. So. My children. My children continue to, to challenge me. And I think the practice has given me a level of elasticity to um, 
to give my children the space they need. And ask for without detaching or loving them less. I think the practice has done that. And some days I get it and some days I don't, you know. But I keep coming back to the practice as my resolve to, I guess you say, the days I don't get it right. Um, in my new marriage of 16 years, I believe the practice has um, informed my empathy such that I can put myself and also to my wife putting herself in each other's shoes such that we've been able to have very open and candid dialogue in ways that I don't think I could have ever had with anyone else. So I do want to introduce you all to my second and final wife. <laughs> Christina. <laughs> I love it. I do. I do. I just love it. Um, so, you know, up to this point, everyone, we've been talking about things that are very close to us, very um, near to us, family, friends, co-workers, sangha members. Um, and all of that is important, but I think the practice has also informed my uh, investigation on what, in a broader sense, is important to me. Rev. Anderson gave a talk before the pandemic, maybe a couple of years before the pandemic, and he talked about, and kind of paraphrasing here, what is most important to you in letting that guide your practice. And, and, and I remember him saying that all of it's important. All of these things are important, but what's most important? Let that, let that guide your practice. And when I look at my life in its totality, when I look at the time serving um, now as the board chair for, for the Rothko Chapel and the mission of the chapel and the mission of the chapel, asking individuals to come and put yourself in someone else's shoes. When I look at um, finishing my fellowship with the American Leadership Forum and that process, what it asks of you from leadership. When I look at the Houston Zen Center and working with Galen and Tricia, uh, uh, Lynn Snow and uh, Tim Shorey and Vicky and, uh, and all the people involved, our discussions on race and racism. What's my practice has opened me up to now is that I want to be part of this conversation that lessens hate in the world. And that's where my practice has been informing me about myself and my life. And I would like my, our wonderful, wonderful teacher, Galen, 
gave me a book to support my efforts in this. In this book, it's called The Buddhist Teachings on Social and Communal Harmony. And I want to share a passage with you all, not necessarily a passage uh, by the Buddha from this anthology, but more a foreword given by the Dalai Lama. It says here, we human beings are social animals. Since our future depends on others, we need friends in order to fulfill our own interests. I want to read it again. We need friends to we need friends in order to fulfill our own interest interests. To me, that's allyship. In whatever form that is in, that is allyship. We do not make friends by being quarrelsome jealous and angry, but by being sincere in our concern for others, protecting their lives and respecting their rights. Making friends and establishing trust are the basis on which society depends. Like other great teachers, the Buddha commended tolerance and forgiveness in restoring trust and resolving disputes that arise because of our tendency to see others in terms of us and them. Us and them. The only way to bridge this gap of us and them is the, is the bridge of empathy for someone else. I feel that to lessen the hate that we see, to bridge these social justice gaps, to deal with the lack of human decency that you sometimes see in the world, to cure this apathy, of destructive thinking that it's not my problem. It is the empathy that we bring to our interactions. And I believe our practice in what it is grounded in has the ability to help our empathy grow. Just this past November 20th, there was another mass shooting, this time at a LGBTQ plus nightclub. We cannot look at that situation and see that that is not all of our problems. That is not just a LGBTQ plus problem. That is all of our problem. But in saying that, Advocating for someone else is scary. I know it is. I don't want us to shy from it, though, but it's scary. And the reason why I know it's scary is because I, and I'm very proud of this, I have written my first literary novel. And in that novel, 
I am talking about the family and social constructs that keep us from loving one another authentically while revealing the humanity of a transgender woman. And the reason why I say advocating for someone else is scary is because I am fearful of the hate mail that will come simply because I want the reader to acknowledge her humanity. So I know it's scary advocating for someone else. <clears throat> I want to end this discussion to say, let the practice nourish the empathy for yourself and for others. That's what it's there for. Get out of, find a way to let the practice just be and just take your, take your ego and your thoughts and your fears and your, your take that out of the conversation and just let the practice take you where it's supposed to take you. And to know that it will be there to sustain you and it will give you the resolve to be who you're supposed to be. So, I love y'all. <laughs> That's my, that, my message for today. <laughs>